Well, good morning. My name is Chris. Good to see all of you here today. And we're in a series called Satisfaction. And basically what we do uh, in series is we talk about one subject until we run out of things to talk about. And... uh, (laughs) So we're, we're still in it, so that means we have something to talk about today. And so we've been talking about this whole thought of contentment, discontentment, satisfaction. And uh, it's all based off of this one verse that we stumbled upon, found in Philippians chapter 4. And again, Philippians, uh, we call it a book of the Bible, but it's actually this letter that a guy named Paul wrote to a church located in the city of Philippi. And so in this, this letter that he's just writing to this group of people, he writes these words, For I have learned the secret of contentment. And so this whole uh, series called Satisfaction is all about us learning in the process of discovering how we can be content. Because let's just be honest. All of us have areas in our life where we're very discontent. There's areas in our life that uh, we always crave for more and more and more. And so uh, two weeks ago, we talked about, you know, those really difficult moments in life, the obstacles, the struggles, maybe you lost a loved one or, or you're uh, dealing with an addiction or there's friction relationally with someone. And how, how do you discover con- contentment in the real dark moments of life? Last week, we talked about how to discover contentment just with who you are, who God has created you to be. And each week, I've said, wow, this is the most difficult one. Well, I figured that uh, now that it's the third week, I I should say the same thing. Uh, If you thought the last two weeks were difficult to kind of wrestle through and navigate through, you know, this one is just going to be right up there besides the other ones. Because this one... I promise every single person in this room struggles with. It's just going to be one of those uh, pieces of life that we struggle to find contentment in. Let's start here before we jump in with both feet. How many of you have ever found yourself, you don't have to show hands, But how many of you have ever found yourself standing uh, in front of your pantry or your refrigerator, uh, staring into uh, a pantry filled with food, and you say to yourself, man, I'm hungry, but there's nothing to eat. (laughs) Maybe this morning, you're like, oh, where's all the food? We were going through our pantry just a couple weeks ago, and uh, we discovered that we literally moved, moved some food from Vegas here, and the date, the date on that food was uh, 2009, and you're like, I don't think that's good anymore. <laughs> if you have kids, this is what all kids do. Mom and Dad, we have nothing to eat, and you're like, the pantry's filled with food. Find something. Well, it's not what I want. If it's not your pantry, have you ever, maybe this is this morning, but have you ever stood staring into your closet (laughs) thinking to yourself, some of you are like, I wish I had a closet like that. (laughs) Thinking to yourself, I have nothing to wear, nothing. I guess I'm going to have to go buy something. And then ladies, how many of you thought or said out loud, 
I don't have a pair of shoes that matches my outfit. I hear that all the time. I'm like, you have plenty of shoes. How many more pairs do you need? You need a black pair and a brown pair. This is a guy talking. My wife's like, no. You need a different pair of shoes to match. I'm like, I don't even understand that. Maybe it's not your pantry. Maybe it's not your closet. Maybe it's not your shoes. It's something. Maybe you sit there and you're like, ah, I need that new iron. Not the iron. Iron. <laughs> I mean, nothing against iron. <laughs> it's great. But I don't think anyone's ever said, oh, that new iron I want. <laughs> you know, and you're like, you have bags of golf clubs in your garage, but that, there's a new one. If you've ever been stuck in an airplane before you can pull out uh, that electronic device, I mean, legally pull out the electronic device, you grab the Sky Mall and you thumb through page after page of all this stuff that you will never, ever, ever need. But there's a compulsion inside to say, wow, if I bought that because that does that, well, I need one of those. There's something in all of us. When it comes to our stuff, when it comes to our possessions, I was in a conversation this week. A friend of mine was talking about his brand new 70-inch TV, and I had this compulsion inside to say, I need one of those. My 62-inch TV isn't big enough. And it wasn't a competition with him. It was just the thought of watching football on 70 inches of TV. And my entertainment unit would fit it perfectly. I'm like, honey, we need. She goes, you need nothing. I go, honey, I want. She goes, better. Right? We have that. The specifics are all different. But all of us in this room right now are discontent with an area of our finances, with an area of our possessions, within an area of our wants and our needs. And so how do we discover the secret of contentment when it comes to our stuff? Now, if I could, and I thought about this, but I thought it'd be over the top. But if I could have right beside me this like really um, large, bright neon sign uh, that had the word caution and it'd be blinking right now, I would have that beside me. So just visualize that. I know right now, minds are starting to turn. Uh Uh-oh, here's the money sermon. Oh. If you're a guest with us today, you're thinking, oh, out of all the Sundays, I come to a church and it's the money sermon. Yeah, it's a money sermon. (laughs) It just is. Why? We can't talk about contentment without talking about money and our stuff, right? And here's what I know. We all struggle with it. If we were really honest with ourselves, we, we all struggle with it even though it's one of the most difficult things for us to see in the mirrors, ourselves, personally. We think other people have issues in this area, but not us. What I know in this room today is uh, some of you, the Bible, this book, I mean, it guides your life. For some of you, uh, you you just can't wrap your head around all of this that's in here. But here's like kind of maybe a starting point for us today. 
whatever you believe about the Bible, I think we would all admit that there's some great principles to go by in here, right? They're just foundational principles. You're still trying to maybe navigate through Jesus dying on a cross, but then buried, but then raising a life and this God thing. Like you're still trying to, you know, work through that. But maybe a common foundation is there's great principles. For instance, here's a great principle that I think, I hope, all of us in this room uh, agree with. Do not murder. Great principle to live by? Please, if you don't think it is a great principle to live by, I'm scared now. <laughs> right? Great principle. Another great principle in the Bible is don't lie. I've never had someone say, wow, our friendship is so much closer uh, because we lie to each other. I now really do not know what you think and what's true, but that has just brought us together. Right? It's just a great principle. Yeah, lying will separate people. Lying will damage relationships. It's a, it's a principle. You know, don't exasperate your children. That's a great principle to live by because some of you had a, a mom, a dad, a parent um, who, who, who perfected exasperating you as a child, right? There's great principles today. At the minimum, it's a great principle to live by. It's just going to be a great principle. Now, if you're a Christ follower, if you've taken that step in your spiritual journey, there's a whole nother level that you need to connect with. And so know that today I'm just going to try to navigate through both worlds because I understand everyone in this room is a different, different place in their, in their spiritual life, different place with this church thing and God and all, I get that. But at the minimum, Paul's going to give us a great, great principle. We're actually going to uh, go out of the, uh, the book of Philippians or the letter Paul wrote to uh, the people in Philippi to another letter we call it a book, again, uh, the book of 1 Timothy, but it's actually a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. There you go. Some of you are like, is this a trick question? Nope, it's that simple. And Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, and actually, Paul and Timothy had a really unique relationship. You see, Paul um, was kind of a mentor or a coach to Timothy. Timothy was a younger leader. And so Paul really came beside Timothy to give him some great uh, leadership advice, some great spiritual wisdom. And so that's, that's the, the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. And so we're going to jump into 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. And this is how Paul starts this off. But godliness with contentment is great gain. There's this kind of formula that, that Paul gives to us Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Now that word godliness, so many times there's this pressure that gets put on uh, you. Maybe it's because you put it on yourself. Maybe it's because some pastor from church, from some church put it on you. Maybe it's because good-hearted parents put it on you. But you think to be godly, that equals perfection. It's not in the Bible. God doesn't expect perfection because he, he knows we're like flawed human beings. He's not going to get that. Godliness states that you just have this desire to walk with God, to get to know him more, to live a life kind of oriented at him. And that means all of us are at a different kind of spiritual uh, mark on, on our pathway. Godliness just says, hey, God, I'm committed to walk with you and to figure this out as we go. 
So godliness plus contentment, in this whole series is about learning the secret of contentment, equals great gain. If we commit our lives to walking with God and discovering contentment in our lives, our life is going to have great gain. We did this series uh, back, I think it was February, March area. It was all about how we can uh, experience the most out of this life. Life uh, to the fullest. Abundant life. And that's what Paul's getting at. Hey, to experience abundant life here on this earth. Godliness plus contentment. You'll discover it. He goes on. He says, "For uh, For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. That's one of those like principles that we all know. It's true, right? You came into this world with nothing, and when you die, you can't take anything with you. We all get that intellectually. But in the dash, between your birth and your death, in your dash, do you live that way? I forget that principle often. Because I start living my life like everything I'm accumulating, everything I'm grabbing onto is so important and that maybe one day I'll take it with me. Even though intellectually I know that when I die, it all goes. Can't take anything out of this world. And I brought nothing into this world. And that's important. Because we all get that. We would all say, that's true. So the next question is, do you live your life that way? Or do you live your life holding on to, grasping on to, hoarding, thinking about your stuff, your things, your wealth? It goes on, verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul sets kind of the bar low, the bare minimum, saying, hey, if you have food and clothing, I'm really glad he included clothing on that list. Like, I'm like, yes, that's good for all of us in this room. That's a great thing. But here's what I know. Everyone in this room, obviously you have clothing on. I'm hoping. I can't see some of the back rows. I'm guessing that everyone in this room has had something to eat, if not in this past week, past 24 hours, and possibly right now you're gnawing on a bagel. So there's a bare minimum. Paul's saying, if you have food, if you have clothing, there you go. That's enough. And we take that for granted. Don't we? I know there's hungry people living in America. I know that. It's why we're raising food. For kids in need, families in need. I get that. But if you've ever traveled around this world, There's a vast, vast percentage of the world's population. They're lucky if they have clothing. And they have no clue where their next meal is coming from. See, when we just kind of pull back into this subject matter, Paul just says, hey, if you have those things, be content. Be thankful. Anything above that, okay, fine, but... There's the bare minimum. Are you just content 
with the clothes that you have and the food that you have? Or you can go home and look at your pantry and say, oh, there's nothing to eat. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning and stare at your closet and say, I have nothing to wear. He goes on, verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Now, we could spend so much time in just verse 9. The main, the main thought here I want to just highlight is those who want to get rich. Now, it's not wrong to be rich. And we're going to talk more about that in a second. But there's this drive within you where it's not about working hard and providing for your family, where it's all about accumulating stuff, hoarding stuff. And that stuff might be money, it might be stocks, it might be uh, clothing, it might be cars, you name it. It's all you think about. It's all that drives you. And for all of us, we have that in us. Again, difficult to see in the mirror, so easily for us to see in everyone else. But this is about you. It's about me. Then Paul goes on, and he writes this. For having a lot of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Right now, some of you are thinking, yes, I knew money was evil, and the Bible just talked about it. For some of you, you're sitting there going, does the Bible really say that? You're trying to flip on your phone real fast. Where, what, what, does, what version is he reading from? For some of you, you're trying to figure out how to get out of this room that only has two doors. Well, three, but that would be really awkward. There's this mindset that says, well, if you have a lot of money, that's, that's bad. You see, there's two gospels kind of that's preached around this country. And maybe you've been in one of these two churches. One is the prosperity gospel that ministers, people will say, hey, if you give God a lot of money, he's going to give you a lot of money in return. Have you heard that? Do you believe that? It's not biblical. Oh, it says God will bless you. Doesn't mean that if you give God $100, he's going to give you $200 in return. God can bless you in so many different ways. But that's, that's taught. That's preached out there. Then there's the poverty gospel. That says, if you're rich, you're not godly. You can't, you can't have stuff. You can't be rich and be godly. That's, that's real. For some of you, you've come in here. For some of you, that's a, that's a real tension for you. You know what Paul really wrote? He wrote these words, for the love of money. The love of money is the root. So let me ask you this question. Do you love money? Let, let me, uh, let me kind of flatten like, like this whole thought a little bit. Um, so all of us are kind of on the same playing field. 
Paul uses this word rich a lot in this. And I know, I know, because uh, uh, you're probably like me. Uh, you don't think you're rich, most of you. Because when I use the word rich, guess what you think about? That person who's richer than you, and they're rich. You think about that person who lives on that road, or who has that size of house, or who belongs to that club or clubs. So we, we do that. So you hear rich, and you're like, I'm not rich. I know a rich person. Let me flatten this. All of us in this room are rich, period. You can walk up to me afterwards and say, I disagree. And I will, with love, say, that's fine. You can disagree. I'm right. (laughs) I'll say with love. I mean, a lot of love. We're all rich in this room. Come on. Maybe you're richer or you're the richest, but we're all rich. All of us. And that's why it's so difficult to see in the, in the mirror. Because it's so easy to compare yourself to other people and say, I'm not rich, they're rich. No, you're rich. You have clothes and you have food. Period. And that's why Paul gets to the heart of this. For the love of money, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So how do you know if you love money? Let me ask you a few simple questions. Look at your bank account. Ouch. Where does your money go? When I've counseled parents over the years, and they're having difficulty with their kids, I've asked a simple question. Are you spending time with your kids? And to the person, the the quick response is always, oh yeah, we're always with with the kids. Or I'm always spending time with my kids. And then I'll ask the next question. Can I see your calendar? Where you leverage your time will always reflect your priorities. It's simple. Simple, 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 simple. It's true. Same thing here. Where you spend your money, where you give your money, where you leverage your money will always reflect your priorities. Always. Let me take this. Again, I know some of you are here and you're like, okay, it's a great principle. I'm not sure about the God thing. For those of you who are Christ followers, you've kind of made that commitment in your spiritual walk and you're like, okay, God, I'm all in. Just to you for for a second. God expects you to give back to him. It's It's not a Chris Truthway thought. It's throughout the entire Bible. From the Old Testament into the New Testament. And it's a no-strings-attached type of gift where you say to God, God, your owner, I'm a steward, and I'm going to give back a percentage in an act of worship to you. It's his number one way that he's called the church to function. Again, his plan, not my plan. And my question to you is simply this. Does your bank account reflect your love for God? Does it? Another question. How easy, this is for all of you, how easy is it for you to give it away? I mean to really give it away. 
Do you have a plan? Is there a plan? My wife and I have a plan, a giving plan. It's between us and God. And when we moved here, we said, God, here's our plan. Do you, do you have a plan? And here's the last one that will, that will probably um, hit a nerve. Are you giving right up to the point that it hurts? Because if you give up to the point where you're like, oh, wow, guess what God's doing? He's prying your fingers away from your stuff. For every one of you, that's, that's a different place. But I'm just telling you, when you give generously up to that line, you'll feel God prying your fingers away from your stuff. And when he pries your fingers away from your stuff, what he's going to do within your heart will transform you. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, you can't serve two masters. Either serve God or your money, your possessions. Which one? There's not room for two. There's not room for three. It's one or the other. And you see, this is why God talks about this subject so often in the Bible. He understands to get your heart. First of all, he's going to have to get your stuff, your possessions, your money, your bank account. It's such a significant piece to every one of yours, including mine, spiritual growth. Paul goes on in verse 11. He says, but you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. And he goes on from verse 12 through 16 talking about what it means to grow as a Christ follower. And I would just say, I encourage all of you, read those verses this week. And then he says this in verse 17, command those who are rich. Again, that's all of us in this room. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share Rich texted me uh, uh, during the middle of the service. I know he shared this number with you. But between last weekend and up to this service, over 2,100 items of food. Wow. Do you know the impact in the lives of kids and family that's going to make? Do you know the, the ripple effects of that generosity? We'll never fully, fully realize the story that that's going to create so many of you were just willing to add, to raid your pantry, to go to a store, bring food. It's going to change lives. It's, it's one. It's one of the purposes of the church. To help people in need. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, Paul turns this corner and says, hey, for you to really experience life, life to the fullest, life abundantly, 
to truly experience life here in the dash between the time you came, came into this world and the time you leave, give generously. Because if you do that, it's going to get to the core of your heart and you will start to change. You'll start to change. See, this whole subject matter is all about a spiritual issue. It's what it all comes down to. Well, um, I have about five minutes, give or take a few extra minutes. Um, and uh, this just happened to fall uh, on this weekend. Uh, we're not that good, but God is that good. And so when we planned the, the series, we knew that we're going to have to do an annual, not have to, get to do an annual report. And, uh, and it just happened to fall on this this weekend. And at first I was like, oh, I don't want it to feel like, like we're manipulating anything. And uh, seriously, God just kind of said, Chris, no, this is just, this is a beautiful moment for the church. And so uh, if you're a guest with us today, you're just going to get some insider information, uh, which is uh, extremely encouraging. And so I just want to celebrate uh, with you uh, uh, some important pieces of information. On your, on your chair, you got an annual report card. And um, you can log on today, download that PDF. It's about a 15 to 20 page document. And so I'm going to spend about seven minutes where uh, I could probably spend two hours, but you probably want to eat lunch sometime today. And so if you uh, give anything to Renaissance Church, you got this uh, as an email uh, this, this week. I think it was Thursday it went out. If for some reason you give to Renaissance uh, and you didn't get that email, that just means that we didn't have your email address. So please give that to us. And so what I wanted to do is share with you some highlights from this past year so we can celebrate as a church. Our fiscal year is September through August. And you might be wondering, why is it September through August? So many businesses, it's a calendar year. Uh, For us, it's kind of the ministry season. September kind of kicks things back off. It's when school gets back in session. All of our strategic plans and initiatives kind of follow September through October or through August, and uh, and so that's our, our kind of our new f- fiscal year. And so we'll give an annual report every time uh, this year in, in September. I guess it's technically October now, and uh, whatever month we're in. And so uh, uh, that's kind of what we're doing. Also, so you know, we have a great stewardship team. And the stewardship team is made up of incredible men and women that have given so much to help us as a church just uh, stay fiscally responsible. They've brought so much wisdom and insight to all of us for our planning, future projections, where we are. And so uh, I just want you to know that between our stewardship team, our board, uh, myself and the staff, uh, there's so many people that uh, we are very, very thankful uh, as a church to have so many people part of this entire piece of a church. And so uh, I want to hit into some uh, uh, numbers uh, as highlights. And, and know for me, some of you love numbers, so you're going to love this. For some of you, you feel like numbers in the church shouldn't go together. And uh, just know for me, numbers just reflect what God is doing. It's all they are. It's just saying, oh, God, we see how you're moving and how you're working. And so there's a couple things I want to highlight. Uh, Christmas Eve this last year, we were up 24%. Christmas Eve and Easter are the two uh, biggest kind of uh, seasons of the year where it's the easiest to invite people. So many of you came because someone invited you to a Christmas concert or to Easter. And so that was just incredible to see uh, just so many new people walk into Renaissance for the first time. Our Christmas concerts last year were up 12%. Easter was up 12%. Mother's Day, man, moms came out uh, 30%. 
Uh, we had nine babies dedicated. And over this last year, we had 257 first-time guests. Isn't that incredible? First time people walking into Renaissance Church. And maybe that was you this past year. And, uh, and that's just what we know of. And so all that means is the church is being the church. And that's what we're about. Uh, you'll see 68 uh, first-time givers. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, uh, on the serving front, Right now, we have approximately 175 people serving in many different areas of the church. You heard uh, Rich talk about uh, needing, I think he said, 4,500 people. It might be 45,000 people for Halloween. And, um, but we always are looking for people to serve. Not because we need people to serve, but something happens inside of you when you roll up your sleeves and you realize that you are part of this church. You're owner of this church. And you're like, man, I'm going to help this church become what God wants it to become. And so that number just continues to increase as so many, so, so many of you have just asked, hey, I want to be a part. How do I? And if you want to serve, just go to our guest center and we'll get you involved serving. And maybe you have a specific area or maybe you just have no clue. Great, jump in. And uh, because something happens within you when you become a part of this church. Another thing to celebrate our attendance year to date, uh, we're up 12%. And again, know that, that, that uh, every number, every number we talk about is associated to a name. And every name has a story, and every story deeply matters to God. So as we talk about that, I don't just look at it as a number. I think about all the people I have met, and the many, many more that I haven't yet, that God is doing something within them through Renaissance Church. And so that's just another thing to celebrate for us as a church as we continue to reach people that haven't walked in church for years, never have walked into church, is struggling with their relationship with God, and that they're finding that this is a place where they can connect with each other and connect to God. On the giving side, uh, there's... I, I, I've anticipated this weekend um, for a couple of weeks now to be able to share this with you. And for some of you, you've heard this before. Maybe you have some questions around this or some confusion around this. Maybe for you, this is the first time hearing about this. But Renaissance was founded by, uh, by a, a, just a small group of families. And one of the compelling uh, parts of this story uh, is that this group of families so loved God and so loved uh, the power of the church and wanted this area to be affected by God's church that um, they gave what we call seed money to help Renaissance become what it is. Most church plants close because they just can't get funded. I mean, it's just an overwhelming percentage of the number of church plants that start and by year three they're closed because they just financially can't get off the ground. And this small group of people said, you know what, we, we don't want money to be an issue. And so over the last 11 years, they have generously, generously, sacrificially given for this church. And so we came into uh, kind of uh, uh, this calendar year back in January, and we just said, you know what, we as a church have to start owning this place financially. That's an important thing. Why? Two masters, God or money. It's just an important thing for all of us to be a part of what God wants to do in us and through us. And so we set out a plan to close that seed money gap 
So over the the next five years, we're going to close the gap by $400,000 a year. And the clock started ticking September 1. And so we've been working, the stewardship team, the board, myself, our staff, uh, many people have been working on how do we do that. And so uh, that's, that's the process we're in. And it's a hard number. It's not, what, what if we only can close the gap $250,000? That's not it. It's $400,000. We have committed to that. We have to as a church. And so, again, to honor what has been giving and the generosity in which it's been giving is inspiring. It is going to be the legacy of this church for generosity for years to, to come. But now is the time for us as a church to get there. And so uh, I would love... Uh, to share with you a couple exciting, exciting numbers. And this is just a thanks to so many of you. Uh, we have, over this last fiscal year, September through August, our giving has increased by 26%. Isn't that awesome? You can clap. You can say, yes. Um, it's incredible. Again, 12% growth, but 26% growth in giving. And uh, we saw that, and there's so much to celebrate in that because I've talked with so many people that have just said, you know what God is doing in me now that I've started giving or I've amped my giving or I now have a plan to give because it's all about us becoming who God has created us to be. And so we celebrate that. But there's another number that blew me away. On January 18th of this year, I stood on this stage and I talked about this gap and that we're going to insert into our weekend service this giving moment. Because giving is worship. It's a worship issue. Uh, that's, uh, that's what it is. And so we've inserted into our worship service a giving moment. And for some of you, this is all you've ever known of Renaissance. For some of you who've been here for years, that was a, a big shift in what happens on Sunday morning. And so January 18th, we inserted this giving moment. And so we ran a, a quick report, and we just put February, February, ah, February, I can't even, that month, uh, one, my mouth is all dry, uh, one through August 31st. We ran that report and compared it year to date, just to say, okay, when we added this giving moment, what happened to our giving? It's an important question to ask. We are up right now, year to date, between those two windows, we're up 45%. Thank you. Guys, like, I, I pause. Yes, please, please. You know what? So many churches would, would have a money conversation or talk about money, it would cause church splits. This just tells you what God's doing in this place. Thank you for those of you who've taken the step up, have increased your giving, have developed a plan, or maybe just gotten in the game. We've had 68 first-time givers this year. 68 people, families, that have said, okay, we're now in. Thank you. I mean, yes, we need to close the gap. That's important. But for me as a pastor, I know what happens within hearts because God has been doing the same thing in my heart. If you haven't taken that step yet, just go to renaissancechurch.org, click on give, talk with me. Um, but thank you for partnering with us to close this gap. Well, not only uh, do we want to celebrate this 45% increase, but one of the things that the stewardship team and our board and our staff did is said, you know, not only do we need to close that gap by increasing giving, uh, we also need to have uh, our own due diligence to, uh, to bring our budget down, right? 
That's important. It's both and, right? And we could have just capped it. We could have said, we're just not going to increase our budget. But we said, no, we want to start decreasing our budget. And so we have spent month after month really asking hard questions, looking at every different piece of how we could decrease your budget, our budget. And what I want you to know is this. This is just step one. And we have another list of items that we're, gonna, we're already addressing and trying to figure out now. But right now, uh, for this fiscal year, September 2012 through August 2013, we have already decreased our budget by 6%, and that's $170,000 that we've already decreased our budget. We think we have another 3 to 4% uh, of cuts that we're w- actively working on right now so that we can bring that number down as well. And we're going to continue to do that. We want to be wise. We want to make the hard choices. And we want to make sure that every dollar that comes in, that God has blessed this church with, that we leverage and we spend in the wisest way. And so I just want you to know that those conversations are happening as well. And we're taking an active stance to also decrease that number. And so, uh, you know, as I think about this next ministry year, I think about the Renaissance Cares and Food for Kids. I think about what's going to happen with Vespers tonight. I think about this Liberty Property option, uh, Opportunity. If you're here last week, you heard a lot about that. And we have more information that we can give you if you weren't here last week about that. I think about Christmas concerts coming up. I think about the project launching, which you have to sign up. Uh, like that, I didn't even suggest that. I like have to. Uh, it's going to be an incredible step for you in your spiritual walk, but also to get connected with each other. And so uh, I think about the project. I think about all these other initiatives that we're going to be launching this year that I can't wait to talk about. And I am blown away to be a part of this church. This is such a special place. And I'm honored to be here. I'm honored that my kids love their church. And I just want to say thank you. Thank you for loving this place. Thank you for investing yourself into this place. God's just begun. Just begun. Let me uh, pray and we're going to get out of here. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this church. And uh, I'm so humbled to be a part of it. So humbled to be a part of it. I think about these kids, these families that are going to get food just because People here care deeply. Lord, I thank you for us being a light in this community and what you're going to continue to do in us and through us. Lord, I pray that we will just follow you where you lead that we go in all ways and all things. In your name I pray, amen.